0: I'm really proud of I'm seeing is uh all the people getting vaccinated. I just want to see that uh we, <laughs> my mom and dad got theirs today.
1: Yeah. And they, <laughs> the one the one shot series, the Johnson No, Johnson. they got the Pfizer. Ass, the Vise,
0: the Pfizer. Pfizer?
1: Pfizer. Yeah,
0: yeah, Pfizer, yeah. The uh yeah, we just got a text message. We got our shot or we're all good. We got the Pfizer. That's all I said. We got the visor.
1: <laughs> the V-I-S-O-R.
0: Oh, she spelled it wrong. Okay. Oh. It's like, I know it's- It's Visor, Is that yeah. someone's last name? Yeah, like, it's, a what German, is that? it's a German thing. Oh, that's a German thing. Yeah, uh-huh. Okay. Now, I wanted to talk to you because have you noticed the trend lately of the anti-mask boys coming out in troves? I have not. Okay, so maybe it's just because of where I work more up north. And up there, you're probably more likely to see cousins marrying. Right. And I was in the gas station the other day, and there's some badass. He's got his arms crossed, standing in the back by the fucking coffee machine, just watching everybody. Like, "Hmm, I wonder if they're looking at me. Because like, he wasn't off. wearing a mask? Yeah.
1: Oh. Like, fuck off, dude. Well, I'd say shit to those people. I... I'm like, where's your mask? <laughs> and they they usually tell me bad words or they tell me to mind my business or yeah. they tell me, yeah, oh, I have a breathing problem. Oh,
0: shut up. I, I I don't know. But uh, what I do know is I don't understand what's going on in Minnesota because it seems like somehow, okay, Iowa is ahead of vaccinating people more than Minnesota is. Well, there's and way I don't... less people there. You think so? Yeah. Do we have more old people? That's what I was wondering. Do we have more old people here per capita,
1: per capita,
0: per capita than Iowa? I uh, don't know. Do yeah. you think there's a lot? Definitely. of Definitely. I here? think
1: I think we. I would say Minnesota has a much higher population than Iowa, even mm. old people. Yeah. Mm. Yeah,
0: because I keep talking to like younger people, like, "Hey, I want to go get my vaccine, but it says I don't qualify yet." Mm. And I'm like, "Ah, uh, yeah, it's fucked up." Mm. let's get him in there come on get in there i know minnesotans uh for the most part are pretty rational except for the coffee badass uh that's all i can call i it's all i can confirm of course he got in his like old ass white bonneville and i watched him drive off stains all over yeah yeah
1: he's one of those guys well that's fine (laughs) uh i mean that's fine they're really what I don't know. They're just fucking assholes. There's yeah. people out there that are just fucking unrepentant assholes. I, and you can, it, There's nothing we can do about
0: it. I think he, the year 2020 should go down as like the year of assholes. Yeah. To be honest. A lot with of people
1: you. making stands where they just don't, <laughs> where stands don't need to be made. No. Like you're doing, you're standing up for the wrong things. Take that <laughs> energy. Take that fucking energy, that capital storming energy, mm. that whatever energy, mm. and do something nice with it. Build a playground. Give, fucking volunteer at a you food kitchen. You think
0: you're going to ever catch them doing that? I'm
1: just saying. If mm. you want to ever see a change, but you won't because they're unrepentant, uh, chaotic assholes that don't, they can't see anything past <laughs> what's right in front of them. They can't see three moves ahead, four moves ahead. Nah, you don't it's need just, to. It's just eat, sleep. And be fucking stupid.
0: Mm, Yeah, exactly. Uh, (laughs) Hello, everybody.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Bumblebutt Podcast, the only podcast on the internet that uploads weekly. Who knows what it'll be about this week? It's me. My name is Adam. Sitting across from me, as ever, is Cody. Hello, Cody. Hello, Adam. How was your week? Oh, it was great. Was it great. Oh, it was great. It was good. A lot of PS2 classics. Ooh. Gran yeah. Turismo 4, we talk about it in between the bumbles yes, quite a bit. Do. But, yes, we do. Yes, we do. Gran Turismo 4, that's a racing game, and it's uh, really wonderful. It's actually, a good
0: game. Actually, when did I, we totally skipped over it when we, I wanted to talk about it. but uh, So, obviously, uh, I'm getting ready to move, and I've been going through all of my horse shit here, right? And I have that big box of old video games. Mm-hmm. And old strategy guys, and I was just going to throw them away, to be honest with you. That's so dumb. And then I was was brought to my attention that some of these are actually uh, worth some money. Yeah. So I plucked all the ones I'm going to attempt to sell on eBay.
1: Yeah. Or local stores or whatever. Mm, Yeah. mm, Like level up games, stuff like that. You
0: think they'll buy them?
1: They'll buy guides. They'll buy boxes. They'll buy whatever. If you have any original boxes, I don't Mm. know. Those are. I always threw those away like a fucking idiot. <laughs> and then when my buddy was moving off to college, he sold like all of his Super Nintendo boxes that he had saved and just folded up nicely. No. And he, he was able to get like five hundred bucks for them. No way. But that was back when Super Nintendo cartridges were like at Level the new Up norm. At the Level new Up. Meme. No, not at Level Up. At another place. Mm. A boutique. Wait, a where the hell boutique. is Level Up? Now they're in. Uh Egan and Hastings. I think they closed the South State ball. one. Okay.
0: Maybe I'll have to maybe I'll have to go up there. I didn't realize uh Silent Hill two, uh, which I have for the PS two is worth a quite a bit of money. I'd throw that
1: on eBay. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: It it's fun obviously we know what the game's about is like death and everything. Cancer. Yeah. And yeah, I ironically the backstory between behind how I got that is from Some young man who unfortunately succumbed to his illness. Terrible. Yeah, so it's cursed game, I guess you could say there. Mm. Yeah, interesting. So scary game.
1: But (laughs) so since you're moving, we are not going to put out an episode next Sunday. Right,
0: right, right. We're taking a Mini vacation. It'll just be easiest because it's obviously I have to pack up all this horse shit down here.
1: The studio's moving to the suburbs. That's what's happening.
0: Yeah, and uh, we're coming back with, thank you so much to our Patreons, new equipment, Yeah, which I'm really excited to hear
1: what it sounds like. New sound dampening, new inline preamps, new microphones. Yeah. It's going to be killer.
0: It's very expensive, and I think it's going to be the tits.
1: So because of this move to the suburbs, I originally uh just decided that I was going to make this uh three-parter to bridge the gap mm. that way we would have we would be releasing an episode on the Sunday that we're not releasing an episode but instead I said fuck it I'll just we'll just make this one uh quite a bit longer than okay. than usual.
0: Yeah, we can do that. Let's do it. Let's get in here. People right. uh, I don't think
1: a lot of people knew about these two characters not based on the comments no. I've seen. No. So, let's hit it. When last we met, Gerald and Charlene Gallagher had lured Kippy Vott and Rhonda Schaefer back to their 1973 Dodge minivan. Gerald raped and brutalized the teens in the woods while Charlene drove back to Sacramento to swap out vehicles from the van to the Oldsmobile Cutlass. When she returned, Gerald had her drive down twisting, dusty roads before stopping and executing the girls with a small caliber pistol. Right. This was their first mission together on September eleventh, nineteen seventy-eight, and it would ignite a twenty-six month spree that would leave many more sex slaves tortured, raped, and dead.
0: Did he did these two refer to it as a mission?
1: Yeah. Or is that he your word? He would he would say he would go over the briefings for the mission. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. And All right. Charlene would never disobey.
0: Uh a lot of these like duos always refer to it as a mission
1: yeah why is that? Because they're dorks, <laughs> especially I, I, this guy he was a gun nut dork, you know he oh he's gun collecting nut too guns. so yeah, we'll get into it. Well, uh, you know what they say people
0: who are obsessed with guns are um compensating ED. no, they're compensating for a lack of a neck. oh See? yeah, people think it's the dick.
1: It's the whoa, neck. whoa, we're not I didn't forgetting even think that. about that. <laughs> of course, it's the no neck. But let's go back to the future like we did last time. To Placerville, California, the couple were facing an arraignment hearing. They had fled California to Omaha, Nebraska to avoid capture for the murder of Craig Miller and the disappearance of Mary Beth Sowers. They waived their right to an extradition trial and returned to California voluntarily. We're not animals, Gerald pleaded with the judge, who definitely didn't agree. Hmm. He ordered both Charlene and Gerald to be held without bail and to remain at the El Dorado County Jail until the preliminary hearing. Serville. who the fuck gets a name that? Honestly, it sounds so familiar <laughs> and also so goofy at the same time. There's no way that's somebody's last name, isn't it? Well, the Ville probably definitely not. So mm. somebody's last name was Placer.
0: Yeah. Or I mean... maybe
1: it was like Placeholderville and they just <laughs> <laughs> they just shortened it.
0: <laughs> like, we're not naming this motherfucker. Yeah. Just call it Who gives a shit? Nothing's
1: coming. Nobody's gonna
0: live here anyway. Mm-hmm.
1: Jurisdiction was a nightmare in this case. There were three separate departments involved in the Craig Miller and Mary Beth Sowers case, and the DAs from every county wanted to prosecute these two. After hours of arguing, it was finally decided Sacramento County's DA's office would handle the prosecution. It was the only way to go. Since the kidnappings originated there, it would count as multiple murder with special circumstances, which was a requirement in order to seek the death penalty in California. Mm,
0: Okay, so they... I would assume around this time they'd still be able to, like, continuously charge them. Like, charge them in one county, then move them, charge them there, then move them,
1: charge them again, right? On top of that, Mm. Sacramento County was huge and flush with Mm. taxpayers, guaranteeing they could afford to see this trial all the way to the bitter end without compromise. That's not guaranteed with the other locations. Right, right. Well, Some of them have an operating budget of like $20,000 a year for court costs, and this would cost $1 million alone. I guess the 80s would have been kind of the
0: huge influx of what California has became today, right? All the uh, mass population that they have. I'm, yeah, I don't massive,
1: know. diverse population. Mm,
0: 60s? I don't know. I wonder if the 60s, was it that populated? You think, or is it like slowly getting populated? I mean, or?
1: definitely it was slowly building up, but Hollywood was huge, yeah. all the way back then, LA. But obviously, we're we're hours away from Los Angeles up here in Sacramento.
0: <laughs> oh, I thought you were gonna say in Minnesota. In Minnesota, like, <laughs> I think we're a few. more, I mean, by plane technically it's a few hours,
1: but driving that's like that is the nice hours. thing about Minnesota. We're no more than three hours away from anywhere else in the country. True,
0: a. Except for Alaska,
1: yeah, and Hawaii, yeah. Well, though, yeah, Rico. continental United States. <laughs> all right. <laughs> With the couple in custody, several other jurisdictions started opening the books on their unsolved murders and missing persons to see if they had anything that lined up. Yolo County investigators had been working the unsolved murder of Virginia Mokel since her body had been found on October third, nineteen eighty, near Clarksburg in southern Yolo County. I feel like.
0: One of the Paul brothers live would live in Yolo County, just to live there. Ironically,
1: Logan Paul, those What's guys. The Logan Paul oh, yeah, and the and other Lo- one. Oh yeah, the other one that thinks he's a boxer. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The mother and bartender had been missing since July seventeenth, when she vanished after closing up the sale Inn Tavern for the night. Shortly after her disappearance, police had interviewed Stephen Robert Fail, which was Gerald's alias, of course and a young woman who went by the name of Charlene Galagos, who were customers that night. Both said they knew nothing and were ruled out as suspects right away. This one seemed like it would remain unsolved forever, until Sacramento PD released Gerald's known aliases. Detective David Trujillo, who had interviewed the couple twice before ruling them out, remembered them driving a van, and the report mentioned an Oldsmobile, he hit the ground running, looking for that van. He knew that if recovered, the van would provide conclusive evidence to tie them with the disappearance and murder of Virginia Mochel. He tracked it all the way to its new owners. A couple of the Galagos sold it to in early August of 1980. They turned over a bloodstained sheet and mattress, which they said were in the van when they got it. Carpet samples were also cut from the van, which were then sent off for examination.
0: Okay, first off, if you've seen a bloodstained sheet and mattress in a vehicle you got, wouldn't you be slightly suspicious or was the ge- the deal just that good? You just had to
1: have it. Maybe that's what it was. <laughs> or maybe they're like, hey, don't say fucking shit about it. Just enjoy your new minivan. Mm, okay. But it's strange considering how much Charlene was, she was the maid for the van for any of the vehicles. Anytime they kidnapped her or anything, she would clean them up real good. So I wonder how that uh, bloody sheet and mattress were, why they were in there. Well,
0: I I don't know. I guess it's just can you imagine reading a like ad for a car? You see like ne n- uh, lady driven, no smokers, mm-hmm. it's like no murders in the car. Like they have to start disclosing that. Like houses no no blood stains, never blood in, <laughs> never blood in, <laughs> Lightly used, never blood in. Here's the other thing. Why is only he using an alias and not her?
1: I know. Well, it's technically <laughs> technically, her name is legally Charlene Williams. Mm. So by changing it to Charlene Galagos, at least it was uh, far <laughs> away. last name? I know. It's ridiculous. But you he was dummies. going to Stephen Robert Fail at the time. Mm. What an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> this evidence would be enough to conclusively tie them to Rhonda Schaefer and Kippy Vaught, but it wasn't enough to link them with Virginia. Speaking of Rhonda and Kippy... Let's go back to their story. (laughs) Two days after they were reported missing, migrant farmers spotted the remains of two females lying in clumps of grass in a meadow near Slough House. According to the autopsy, both girls had been sexually assaulted, bludgeoned, and shot to death. One of the victims was initially shot in the head, but the bullet grazed off the skull. The kill shot came slightly later. It's thought this victim was the one that was wriggling from the end of the last episode. Ooh,
0: I, okay, I've heard of, ironically enough, I've heard of this happening to somebody. Grazing like They were off. like trying to shoot him point blank and they just like nicked the skin off of the head. Mm-hmm.
1: Yikes. The first serious lead on the case came on September 14th. A call from a young woman came in. She claimed that she and three of her friends saw the victim getting into a red firebird with two black men. This was, of course, racist and wrong. Mm. A detective met with the young woman and her friends, and they were able to ID a black guy that worked at a boy's home that one time had some sort of relation with Kippy. The man was found. It wasn't hard, as he didn't know anyone was looking for him. He owned a red Firebird and was recently fired from the boys' home for drinking on the job. Further fucking up his image with police was his inability to remember exactly where and when he was on the day Rhonda and Kippy went missing. Mm. It didn't take long for police to find another black man that was seen in the Firebird. Now they had two suspects and racistly rushed through proceedings to implicate these men. Being black and powerless when the public is hungry for swift justice is not a position I envy, Cody. No,
0: absolutely not. Interesting, uh, they they just search for black people who owned firebirds, black men, I guess. Well, this guy was like, firebirds. he
1: had known Kippy in the past. Mm. And he was a drunk, so he didn't remember where he was three months ago when she went missing.
0: This is a real-life shameless,
1: huh? <sighs> Obviously, this was an amazing stroke of luck for Gerald and Charlene. The worst part is, this was the only beginning of their spree. That night on September 11th, 1978, the couple drove home from killing Rhonda and Kippy in silence. When they woke up, they went through the victim's purse and kept everything inside of it. They gathered the clothes they were wearing and the 25 caliber gun, and then they hopped in the Oldsmobile to get rid of the incriminating evidence. You think they sold it again? No, <laughs> <laughs> this one definitely hasn't been. People
0: haven't been killed in in the Oldsmobile. Uh, yeah. yeah, no. Yeah. What kind of Oldsmobile was it? I don't <laughs> a, cutlass. a Cutlass.
1: A Cutlass. Ah,
0: so was it? The, those are two seat. They're like two doors, right?
1: Back in the eighties, I yeah, think. they Yeah, but like they the, were still four seater.
0: Okay, you remember um, what's the one people always obsessed with, like Oldsmobile, the like turboed one. Do you remember that one? that's in the '80s. Uh, I cannot remember. It kind of looks like a Monte Carlo, but not. No, maybe I'm thinking of the Buick
1: something. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Oldsmobile. Uh, they had one that looked exactly like a Dodge Intrepid. Mm, I think.
0: No, I
1: don't know. I don't. I yeah. can't
0: remember what it's called. The um, it was uh, it's a really rare
1: car apparently. All I, I doubt think what of, These dummies uh, have all I could think of is an Integra. <laughs> Those things are
0: ugly as hell.
1: I like Integrus. You like the Integrus. Okay. They started with their clothes, which they dumped behind a clothing store in the dumpster. Hey, honestly, perfect place to hide them, right? Not bad. Yeah. Next, they made their way to the Sacramento River, where Jerry put the gun along with a few rocks in the victim's purses before flinging them into the river. Gerald almost forgot to throw the tire iron in the river and went back to the trunk to remove it. It was still covered in Kippy's blood and he held it up to Charlene's face, asking if she wanted a lick.
0: God.
1: The couple did a once-over of the Oldsmobile before deciding they had gotten everything, and on the way back to the apartment, Charlene felt a sense of relief. She thought this fantasy was now well behind them, and they wouldn't have to speak of it again. Gerald's wheels were just getting spinning, however. How do you... I mean,
0: obviously, this has to be very tough for Charlene at this point, but it's
1: just like... do you just like forget about this like this isn't she's hoping now they can move on with their lives Mm. like now that he's got it out of his system
0: i mean you can have to live with that the rest of your life dude it's just you know this isn't like a little i don't know this this isn't like gerald coming home drunk one night this is like i don't know yeah you helped him fucking yeah it's really fucked up
1: The next course of action for Gerald was to force Charlene to abort the two-month-grown fetus inside of her. He drove her to the clinic and forced her to go in there with a smile on her face and to get it done, or else he would do it and it wouldn't be in a clean medical environment. Once the procedure was over, Gerald took her to the coast to spend some time with friends and take her mind off the abortion. On their way back, they stopped off at Gerald's mother's house to see Krista and the rest of the family. He did not receive the reception he was looking for.
0: Oh, they, didn't, they weren't happy to see Gerald's bitch ass again?
1: Krista, Gerald's 14-year-old daughter from his first marriage, whom he had been molesting since she was six, had disclosed to her family about her abuse and went one step further, reporting him to the police. Krista was encouraged by a classmate to speak up about what her dad was doing to her, and on September 27, 1978, she did just that, telling her story to Detective Sergeant Dan Young. Thank God. The accusations led to charges of incest, sodomy, oral copulation, and unlawful intercourse. Gerald's mother, Lorraine, was instructed by Detective Sergeant Young to call immediately if she saw her son drive up. Thankfully, she did just that as she saw Charlene and him roll up the driveway. When he got out of the van, she immediately tried to talk him into giving up and waiting for the cops who were on their way. Charlene was surprised, but for the wrong reason. She was wondering how Gary's daughter could do that to him. Even though he raped her, she knew Jerry genuinely loved Krista even more than her.
0: So, are you saying that she believed that he was doing this to yep. her? It's just, hey, your How dad still you? loves yeah. you. Why your are you dad loves the cops you so on? much?
1: Well, she was. Charlene was super jealous of Krista, <sighs> and it's said that this is uh, conjecture, speculation, mm. but. There are some reports from Charlene, who was the star witness in in both the Nevada and California case eventually, where he would say, you're going to be my new Krista to his victims. Oh, God. Yeah. That is so fucking disgusting. Oh, my God. Yeah. Gerald almost gave up, saying maybe the authorities could get him help but he never got the chance. Lorraine's husband came home from work right then and immediately pulled a rifle, fully intent on blowing Gerald's head off. He grabbed Charlene, got in the van, and reversed the fuck away.
0: Wow, okay. Also, I'm envisioning is like that drunk old farmer with his overalls. He comes home, he's like, come here and get him. He's got his blunderbuss, he falls out of there. <laughs> oh, still, you wily bastard. Honestly, kind of wish he would have killed him. I mean, seriously. it's,
1: uh, yeah. Oof. Gerald realized while he was driving that he had spent enough time in the penal system to know that he didn't want to go back to jail again and he was definitely determined not to follow his father's footsteps into the gas chamber. He didn't want his downfall to come from his accomplice, so he knew he was either going to have to kill or marry Charlene to keep her silent. Mm,
0: That's usually how uh, marriages get started right there. (laughs) Look, babe, I'm either going to have to kill you or marry you, and I guess marrying is the better option.
1: You remember the old joke? A shotgun shells cheaper than a divorce. (laughs) He went with the second option. And on September 30th, 1978, the two would tie the knot in Reno, Nevada. Hey, romantic place to get married, right there. Acting as witnesses were Charlene's parents, Charles and Mercedes. But this wasn't enough protection, and this is where Gerald changed his identity to Stephen Robert Fale. Dude, I'm just gonna say this: I hope Charlene's dad showed up in his
0: best fucking meat cutters outfit, like <laughs> he's wearing a leather apron there, but. <laughs> has been modified into a tuxedo. It's got a little bow tie, a little leather bow tie. (laughs) It's like a strip of bacon. That's his new bow tie. (laughs) That'd be awesome. Yeah, that would be fantastic.
1: (laughs) It would be up to Charlene now to convince her daddy to get him a birth certificate in order to get their marriage started off on the right foot. She was also able to convince gullible daddy that Gerald was definitely innocent of raping his daughter and her friend.
0: Ugh, what's he going to get his birth certificate on like a a, a slab of back fat? Is Somehow he, gonna,
1: he used she, his fucking crazy connections to get her birth certificate.
0: I, I figured... It'd be sweet if he did it on a sheet of meat and he just used that blueberry uh ink stain they put on me and oh, just signed yeah. off his birth certificate.
1: <laughs> USDA <laughs> approved <laughs> USDA approved birth certificate. <laughs>
0: honestly, that's kinda what I want now. Yeah. I want the USDA to approve my birth. Yes. I mean, who are they who better can you trust with chunks of meat or hunks of meat? Yeah, they've we only are let, hunks of meat. They've only let mad
1: cow through like five or six times. Yeah, that's gonna happen. Charles and Mercedes bought the bullshit and helped their new son-in-law change his ID. And just in time, because on October 9th, 1978, an arrest warrant was issued for Gerald Gallagher. Bail was to be set at 50000 His next move was to blow town for a while. He and Charlene put together a few suitcases and lit off for Houston, Texas, where Daddy Charles worked his connections to get Gerald another job, which he almost lasted a full month at. Whoa, a month? Almost. Whoa, I suppose Beef in Houston
0: in this time, he's got a lot of connections, the Beef Mafia down here. This time? You mean today still? (laughs) They're the cow kings. Are they still... Okay, I hope Houston is uh, doing okay, because I did read a report. They found coronavirus in the water, so um, I hope everyone's doing okay down there. Get healthy, Just quit drinking water and just stick to eating beef. Get
1: healthy. Just drain that beef juice in your mouth. Lone Star and beef. (laughs) I like Lone Star. In December 1978, he got himself a job at a as a bartender at Whiskey Junction, which he was able to hold on to for three whole months until he got fired for fist fighting with one of his co-workers, a bouncer with a big mouth on him. Mm, he thought it was Patrick Swayze. Hmm, it's, you gotta be nice until it's time not to be nice <laughs> or whatever he says. <laughs> Uh, also during this time, he fired three shots into the ceiling with his 25 caliber to impress a girl to try and get her to sleep with him.
0: Well, you got to remember what geological location we're in, Adam. In Minnesota, this might be unacceptable. There,
1: that's perfectly fine. In Sacramento? Oh, no, we're in Houston now. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely.
0: I mean, can you imagine how many goddamn bullet holes are in that ceiling?
1: Oh, too many. Like,
0: you know, you see, you go to places, they have dollar bills, Stapled to the ceiling here, you just have fucking uh, uh,
1: bullets up there. In North it's... Branch, Jesse James, there's that bank down there that mm. has uh, has bullet holes in Still it from has old Jesse his bullets. James. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is where mm-hmm.
0: Jesse James shot his gun, mm-hmm. and that's the toilet where Jesse James left us a Upper Decker. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> he just couldn't leave well enough alone. He had to shoot our buildings and shit in our toilet <laughs> tanks. Charlene and Jerry just weren't feeling Houston and decided to try Reno next. Daddy Charles got out the Rolodex and got his son-in-law another job with a meat company and moved the couple into a rented condo in nearby Sparks, Nevada. Hmm. She decided to supplement the income by getting a job as a receptionist at a different meat company, but this ran counter to Jerry's wishes. The man was supposed to be in charge with the woman subservient to him. Okay,
0: um is her dad literally like the fucking meat godfather? Yes, yes he is. Holy he shit. He is actually butcher
1: like nationwide
0: butcher godfather. Okay. Remember we were talking about Tommy boy? Mm-hmm. Um what doesn't he meet with a meat meat guy about sticking his head in a butcher's ass or yes, something like yes, that? Yes, absolutely. Um I feel like that guy is literally her dad. Yeah.
1: Wow. He's uh, he loves his little Charlene so much that he would uh, do anything. Mm.
0: Just like you, you guys are gonna find out about Adam and Fritos. Um, I imagine this man has. <sighs> I don't know. Does just, just smell like beef constantly? it has got to be.
1: He's got to smell like a but the back of a butcher He's shop. He's got
0: like the special edition Yankee Candle that just smells
1: like a fucking butcher shop. Man, sometimes butcher <laughs> shops smell so good, and True. other times when they th- smell like death.
0: Well, it depends uh, if the smoker's going on or not.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, they
0: got that smoker going in the back. That smells pretty fucking good.
1: Yeah. Otherwise, it just smells smells like dead corpses. Mm. Their sex life took an extreme downturn, which Gerald blamed on her weight, her unattractiveness, and her unwillingness to try and please him. His job lasted a month, as usual, and culminated in him walking off the job after a disagreement with his foreman. On June 24, 1979, it was Father's Day and the day of the Washoe County Fair in Reno. Wandering around the fairground were several tight young girls wearing very small shorts. Gerald and Charlene were on the hunt again. The only reason they were there was because Jerry had his sights on a 12-year-old girl who was the daughter of friends of Charlene's parents and was really worked up. She had to do everything in her power to persuade him they would certainly get caught if they did their thing to her. He was ready for another slave, and since he was doing Charlene the favor of not raping and killing that 12-year-old, she would have to find him a replacement. Yikes. Taking victims at the fair would be easy. There were more attractive girls there than Gerald could even comprehend. He went over the mission with Charlene. She was to convince young girls she was hiring workers to put flyers on windshields in the parking lot, get the girls back to the van, and of course, he'd handle the rest.
0: You know, the 80s was bad when that sounded like an intriguing job. Oh, you want to fly or some windshields? Uh, I'm I'm so glad people don't really do that anymore. Yes. Do you remember? I'm at the old location in South St. Paul. Someone would come in there and put those stupid fucking DJ. I know. Things in the windshield. I, I mean, know. Was it a work coworker there or who was doing that? I don't know. Stop it. Nobody's coming
1: to your, your goddamn rave. I'm not going to watch you spin, bro. <laughs> Like a spinnerbait being cast into the shallows, Charlene weaved her innocent-looking pretty way through the fair, searching for unsuspecting, naive victims. She was having trouble finding two or three girls that were there by themselves. They usually had parents or boyfriends with them. There was no reason to bring back any girl she knew wouldn't meet Jerry's standards. He would just take it out on her after brutalizing the victim.
0: Okay, first off, wouldn't the spinnerbait get caught in there?
1: Into the sh- if you're casting in the shallows, when you get a snag, depends on if there's a weed bed. I mean, mm-hmm. that's the best place to cast them. Is that's right, the best, huh? right near the shore, under okay. docks, All under right. structures, that kind of stuff. There's nothing
0: worse than when you get a nice, nice new lure. And it gets caught in a fucking dead tree that's in the yep. water or something. Or a
1: live tree that's hanging over the <laughs> coast, which has happened to me so many times. Or an old person who's on the shore. Fuck those old people. <laughs> Get out of the way of my lure, old person. There used to be cows back where we fished, like they would come all the way up to the water pretty mm. much. And we would try and hit them with our <laughs> with our lures. Let's <laughs> try and hit the cow. <laughs> Finally, Charlene saw two girls that were absolutely perfect. 14-year-old Brenda Lynn Judd and 13-year-old Sandra K. Colley. One was tall and slender with long blonde hair and the other was petite with short curly raven hair. They had had fun all day and were waiting at the entrance for their friend to pick them up and give them a ride home. As Charlene approached them, their spirits were high. She asked if they wanted to make a few bucks while they waited, sticking flyers under windshield wipers. They both agreed in a hurry and followed her back to the van to get handbills. Approaching from the opposite direction, Gerald forced them into the back by pointing a forty four caliber in their faces. He bound their wrists and ankles and covered them with blankets. Charlene once again sat on an igloo cooler, just like the first time, keeping watch of the whimpering girls while Gerald calmly drove away from the fairground. Gerald stopped off at a building supply store, leaving Charlene alone with the slaves while he ran inside. He returned with a shiny silver shovel and a hammer. They got onto I-80 and headed east. One of the girls threw up while the other had a panic attack. There wasn't much Charlene could do but offer empty promises that everything would be okay. During the drive, Charlene took over and it became clear that Gerald wanted to carry out his fantasy in front of her. She heard him order the girls to undress and lay down on the mattress. The sun set as Charlene continued to drive and Gerald violated the girls in the back. She could hear them crying, moaning, and their ragged breaths. Her foot pressed absentmindedly on the accelerator.
0: Slow this damn thing down,
1: snapped out of her paralysis. Charlene responded as if he were just taking a nap in the back seat. Sorry, it's hard to keep 55 when there's nothing but straight, dark, empty road. Gerald at this point decided they were bound for a ticket if he kept letting Charlene drive, so he ordered her to keep an eye on the slaves. Finally, they stopped somewhere in the Nevada desert, and Gerald walked off with one of the girls, leaving Charlene alone with the other. He returned to the van alone. Charlene heard no shots this time and knew he must have used his new shovel and hammer. Let's go, bitch. Charlene watched as he dragged the girl off into the Ugh. darkness. Moments later, he returned alone again. Ugh. Whew. Sandra and Brenda weren't waiting at the entrance to the fairground as their ride expected. She had only missed them by a few minutes, and unaware of what was happening to them, was quite heated as she circled the parking lot in vain. Oof. That evening, she reported them missing to Reno PD. As with most missing adolescents, they treated this one like a runaway. Of course, according to family and friends, these girls had no reason to run away, they weren't on drugs, and they both were involved in community groups as well as being lettering athletes at school. But cops always think they know best in these situations. Mm. It's, I'm going to, it's, And yeah. these girls were accomplished students. Like, there's, there was no fucking reason for them to run away. I if way. I sounded sarcastic, that's because I was being the point, <laughs> from the point of view of Reno PD.
0: <sighs> Man, this is absolutely horrible, first off. And it's just like, I don't know, 13, what is it, 12 and 13 or 13 and 14? I don't, it, I mean, it was the 80s, but I'd it say it's pretty unlikely they ran away because they're on drugs. They just... What, did they just smoke one marijuana and yeah. just took off into a life of Well, everyone had,
1: everyone had just seen the Ninja Turtles movie, mm. and they were all joining the Foot Clan. That's what they thought. Yeah, I mean,
0: well, you did say they were
1: athletes. Yeah. I assume
0: Shredder has a pretty strict physical to join the Foot Clan. you got to uh, be
1: slender and able to do flips and stuff.
0: You know the, the cops always saying uh, the runaway thing? Look, I'm going to just throw this out there and I'm not being a bootlicker, but I would love to see the actual scenario or the actual percentage of kids who run away and come back versus the ones that don't. I bet it's I'm, 99%. <laughs> so, I, know. I don't I I don't know. It's kind of a it's kind of a, a tricky situation, but yeah, obviously With their extenuating circumstances. Yeah, that's what
1: I'm saying. Like a support system Mm -hmm, that is mm -hmm. saying, in no uncertain terms, did these girls run away? Two different families saying that.
0: You know, uh, you said this lettering athletes, right? Mm. Um, Interestingly, right by where I work across the street, there is a Letterman Sports. Does that sound right? It's a hockey store. Okay. It's uh, a
1: lot of hockey boys going in and out of there. So. I bet they'll sew your letters on, they'll sharpen your skates, you can (laughs) Mm. get a hockey stick. We used to have a place called Cunningham's
0: around mm, here. I saw, just yesterday, I saw a kid in full hockey regalia going in there with a broken hockey stick. So I'm assuming they're doing
1: something in there, yeah. Police did put in a little elbow work by interviewing all the fairground employees. One consistent story they heard was that the two girls ran off with the carnival that had supplied the rides and attractions to the fair. (laughs)
0: You
1: Fucking Joe Dirt? What is this? Reno PD followed up on this by tracking down the carnival's current location, which was near Salt Lake City. And sure enough, two girls from Reno did run off with the circus, but they were not Brenda and Mm, Sandra. Runaway Mormons. Mm. (laughs) I'm surprised Mormons Mm. even allow a A fair to come there. No kidding.
0: I'm surprised they even allowed a black guy to join their basketball team, and to be honest
1: Whoa, no kidding. Uh, that was a pretty white desert for who, a while.
0: Who was that guy, the big butt? Carl Malone. That's him. That's him, the white butt
1: boy. Big Malone. God, he had a big butt. Hmm. Charlene was starting to develop a system for dealing with the aftermath of Gerald's sex slave experiments. She would clean the van so that it was almost good as new inside and out. She was able to do some mental gymnastics, convinced that Jerry alone was responsible for these four young girls being extinguished. She refused to take the blame. Anyone could have lured the girls in, but not everyone, and certainly not her, could do what he did to them. I mean, I I
0: know she's complacent, but I I don't know. It's, it's kind of a catch-22. You mean complicit? Complicit, sorry. Uh. She's complicit, but uh, obviously Jerry, this is his thing his fantasy is sadistic behavior um he was abusive to her very right so it's like
1: mentally physically
0: we've never been in a scenario where we're so terrified of someone controlling us so it's hard to say i I don't know it's a it's a tough scenario i think she's
1: guilty yeah that's just me flash forward back to early january 1981 their preliminary trial was underway Charlene's attorney, bought and paid for by her parents, was requesting bail for her as the eight-month unborn fetus inside of her hadn't committed any crimes and by locking up Charlene, they were unjustly punishing the baby. Judge Peter Meering wouldn't hear it and denied the motion unless the defense could come up with evidence or sworn affidavits that contradicted the mountains of evidence the prosecution had against her. Charlene's lawyer and Gerald's public defender had an extreme stroke of luck for their clients when another double murder kidnap occurred at UC Davis after the Galagos were already in custody. The defense tried arguing that there wasn't enough evidence to prove the Galagos killed Craig Miller and Mary Beth Sowers, and whoever did the double murder at UC Davis was probably responsible Mm. for it. That didn't work either. And this is when Charlene started cracking, looking for a way to cooperate in exchange for bail. The prosecution wouldn't budge. They were determined to try them both. Unless she could provide something so damning they couldn't say no. And this got Charlene thinking.
0: I feel like I know what Charlene's going to do. Also, um, what do they do if you, you give birth in prison? Give it to your nearest family member, I'd imagine, right? Yeah, or something? it used to
1: be... The prison like hospital would look after it, and you could see it once a week or something. Hmm. But that's draconian. That's some old (laughs) shit. (laughs) Nowadays, yeah, I don't know if it goes to uh, next of kin or the foster system or what.
0: You know damn well her dad's going to pull up in a uh, meat-covered baby carriage and pick it up and and take it home. Guess what?
1: Uh They absolutely raised that kid. Hell Yeah. On July 2nd, 1979, Gerald went to work for a pop company in Reno using his Stephen Fale alias. Should we, should we, we don't want to offend anybody. Is this a soda company? No, it's a pop company. A
0: pop company. It's pop. Okay. So That's you the know correct the, way. You know the say. non-Minnesotans don't understand. Soda is soda water. <laughs> it's what I'm drinking right now. You call that soda water? This
1: is I call it sparkling water. I call sparkling. it sparkler water. Okay. Of course, it didn't work out in Reno, and by September, the couple figured the heat had died down enough. They were known as Mr. and Mrs. Stephen Fail when they rented their apartment. For the next three months, Gerald worked off and on as a truck driver. When money got tight, though, Charlene could always call on dear old daddy, which she did often, mostly at Gerald's forced suggestion. What do you think her dad's
0: phone... Dial was like, like a pig grunting. <laughs> 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 oh, Charlene's calling again, honey. I wonder what she wants.
1: A little cash pig. <laughs> yeah, they do use her like a piggy bank. So. Mm,
0: yeah, his piggy bank's literally like just the meat of a pig. It's not a like the full bank. shell. Yeah. He can pull like full dollar <laughs> bills out of it. He's got a barbecue. He's got to smoke the meat before he get the cash out of it. <laughs> This tastes awful, awfully nickely, Dad. What the <laughs> hell did you, what the hell did you cook inside of here?
1: <laughs> Gerald became a full-on gun nut at the new apartment, acquiring an AR-15, an over-under forty four caliber Derringer, a 357 Colt Python, a few thirty eight specials, and soon he would add a twenty five caliber pistol, which would prove to be a huge mistake. They had AR-15s back then, huh? Yeah, man. Really? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Were they called something else? or was No, just definitely. Called? Right. Armalite rifle.
0: All right. All right. No,
1: Armalite. Yeah, Ar- Armalite rifle, AR. Yeah. So the- Most people confuse it and think it's Assault Rifle 15.
0: Okay, so uh, here's the other thing. The, obviously, we've discussed the 22- 22... it was made by the
1: Armalite company.
0: Armalite, okay. Well, as we've discussed previously, the 22 and the 25- Always seems to get these serial killers caught. So out
1: of all these guns, it's that one. It's so small. <laughs> I guess I see where he's coming from. It's uh, not that loud. Mm. It's concealable as hell. But uh, it, but yeah, it, it always ends up being their downfall. Do you okay?
0: Are you sure? Whenever ne- you're researching this, the 38 Specials wasn't like. The bands, the band like vinyl <laughs> records. This is actually a few the Guns special <laughs> CDs. <laughs> like he had the whole collection. Of them. No, those weren't Guns. Those were just vinyl records. He had, I, don't, I don't know how anybody got that confused.
1: <laughs> a few days before Christmas, 1979, he got a job as a bartender at the Bob Les Club, and the owner remembered him as a rampant ladies' man. But he did his job well. In that same high school way most bars have, word got around that Gerald was regularly dating a bunch of chicks at this time. One of these women named Patty was, in fact, expecting his baby. Gerald was a master manipulator and con man and knew when to act kind, chivalrous, affectionate, and romantic, the same way he got all of his wives. Mm. Eventually, Jerry had to tell Patty that he was married, but by then, she was head over heels in love with him and wrapped around his little finger. He knew Patty could never replace Charlene, but Patty could do things in bed to please him that Charlene just wouldn't. <laughs> She'll Patty'll stick her finger up his ass,
0: that's for sure. <laughs> that frosty will be so deflated by the time she's done with it.
1: Do you remember the three things he loves in order? Um, sodomy.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like I'm in school right now. And mm-hmm. you, if you had a projector and you're pointing at it with your Ding. wooden stick. <laughs> uh, sodomy, cunnilingus. mm no. It's in there, but it's not number two. Um, Blowjobs? Yeah, fellatio. Well, yeah, let's say fellatio. Let's mm-hmm. use a medical term. And cunniling-ling. Cunniling. Cunniling. Yeah. Okay. And those are the three things. Huh? Yeah. Mm. How do these girls keep getting pregnant if he likes those things? Yeah, if he likes buttholes
1: mm-hmm. and mouths and <laughs> mouths.
0: <laughs> I mean, I guess maybe it just comes out of his mouth. I don't know whatever <laughs> he's doing. <laughs> All right.
1: Whether Charlene knew of the affair
0: or not is up for debate. You know what I was just thinking, actually? Uh, you turn this into, when snowballing goes wrong. Oh, <laughs> Snow-
1: <laughs> oh, 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 oh that's so disgusting, <laughs> Cody.
0: That could be why how Patty got pregnant. <laughs> when snowballing goes oh. wrong with John Walsh.
1: <laughs> and you know those, those snowballing videos, it's like, a lot of that has to be like, you know, when your mouth gets all wet, when you're mm. about to throw up, mm-hmm. that's got to be part of what's making them Maybe so Maybe they like that. Maybe oh, they like that. That's terrible. <laughs> that's really terrible. Whether Charlene knew of the affair or not is up for debate. The beatings during this time were down drastically. And if she were to know about his passionate affair with Patty, she would likely have preferred that outlet to him raping and killing more sex Ooh. slaves. Leaving him was, of course, out of the question. He would never let go, and she believed they were bound till death do them part. So he's getting, oh god,
0: this is such a. I'm sorry, this is such a tragic thing for Charlene. She's getting jealous. Yikes! Is Patty? Maybe by, is Patty by the way the name of Tommy Pixel's mom? No. Okay, that's uh, that's Phil and Lil's mom, right? Patty. Is it? It's all I can think of now is like a Nickelodeon
1: cartoon woman yeah. that well, he's Patty, performing cuddling on. Patty is definitely a Nickelodeon name, mm. but I can't remember which show. <clears throat> on March twenty eighth, nineteen eighty, Gerald sent Charlene out to purchase him a twenty five caliber Beretta. The twenty five would put an end to their rampage, but not before they struck again several times. On April twenty fourth, nineteen eighty. Gerald was frothing at the mouth as he yelled at Charlene that they were going out for another girl. It had been 10 months since Brenda and Sandy, and now Jerry needed it again. He grabbed a few lengths of white rope, stuffed them in his coat pocket, and tucked his three fifty-seven in the back of his waistband. So is that
0: his, has that been about his cool-down period, about 10 months?
1: It really depends, Mm. right? This, he's sporadic, and he, he escalates eventually, but yeah, it's eight months seven months ten Mm. months
0: okay all
1: right taking to the streets the two began scouting for the perfect victim they prowled past record stores high schools and convenience stores unable to decide on a location they ended up at the sunrise mall in citrus heights which was a first ring suburb of sacramento in conjunction with the open air mall across the street this area became the premier retail location in the county gerald and charlene were shopping for team girls however Gerald went over the plan. Get gullible kids out to the van to smoke some pot. Mm. The couple entered the mall full of targets. Gerald put eyes on two walking out of a bookstore and urged Charlene onwards to set the trap. Karen Twiggs and Stacy Redican, both 17, had gotten their first jobs at McDonald's and decided to spend some of their first paychecks and just hang out generally at the mall. They were about to leave when Charlene approached them. You girls
0: like smoking dope? Doesn't everybody? Everybody I know. You got some?
1: Do I ever. Come with me. Charlene flashed the young'uns a sincere smile, and the three headed out to the parking lot. They passed an ape-like, beefy man who gave no indication of interest in them. They couldn't have been more wrong. Charlene led her captives to the back of the van before sheepishly turning to them and saying, There's no dope in here. The girls quizzically looked at each other before a booming voice from behind them declared, You're wrong. There's
0: two dopes in here. Gerald mm.
1: forced them into the back with his three fifty seven. You girls are being kidnapped. Follow orders and you won't be harmed. Oof. Charlene drove east on I-80 while Jerry ordered his new slaves to strip. She drove past Truckee as he raped them in the back. Ugh. Passing Reno, Jerry had her pullover at a supermarket. He bound his captives and went in, returning with a pack of cigarettes and a new hammer. The rolling sexual assault continued through the desert. Following Jerry's instructions, Charlene drove to Limerick Canyon, out in the open sands. She parked the van and Jerry got out with a flashlight. He asked Charlene if he, if she wanted a turn with the girls. When she refused, he actually looked upset. He told his prisoners and Charlene that he was going to go find for them a place to set up camp for the night. When he returned, he grabbed his shovel, hammer, and one of the girls. He came back alone and dragged the other off into the darkness. When he returned, he forced Charlene to go look at the graves and then immediately clean out the van before they did anything else. There were now six victims. Oh,
0: Jesus Christ. Yikes. So now he's, uh, I wonder if he wants Charlene to look at him to scare her or if it's like a sexual thrill for him. Both of the above.
1: Both of them, huh? God, this guy is just... He doesn't even want her to join. He wants her to do it herself to them. Oh, like, like sex slave them. Oh, really? Yeah. Wasn't
0: sure Char- he caught Charlene
1: with a girl. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's what I was just going to say. And he got really upset Beat about the it. shit
1: out of both of them.
0: Yeah. What the fuck? This guy is so fucked up, man. This is one of the most fucked up people. This shit is just despicable, man.
1: Karen Twiggs and Stacy Redican's bodies were discovered by picnickers on July 27th, 1980, more than three months after they disappeared in shallow graves 20 miles outside of Lovelock, Nevada. They were severely coyote damaged. An autopsy report noted they were both raped and beaten, with the coup de grace being serious hammer blows to the head. Mm, God, that's brutal. Again,
0: hitch, uh, picnickers, huh? It sounds picnickers. like I feel like that's a, that's literally a scene in one of the American horror stories. I believe it is. Actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just taking his lady oh, on a nice picnic and. They set the blanket down and there's a little bump there. And like, what the hell's under the blanket? And there's a fucking
1: coyote yeah. damage.
0: <laughs> the body there. Yeah. Terrible. Uh It's, it's honestly
1: horrible. <inaudible> Flashback to custody. Ooh. After spending more than a year behind bars, Charlene was ready to talk. She figured that her husband could neither help or hurt her. And she needed to look out for herself. In February of 1982, The Superior Court appointed her two new attorneys. She had lost confidence in her current one's ability to try a criminal case as important as this. As far as she was concerned, she was simply guilty of naivete and getting involved with and manipulated by the worst person on earth. If anyone deserved to swing for it, as far as she was concerned, it was her sick fuck husband. She had his baby to look after now after Mm. all. Can't say I disagree with her. Right. She asked her new lawyers upon their first meeting. "'What can you do to get me out of this mess?' "'Well, Charlene, what can you do for yourself?' She breathed deep and cleared her throat. By talking now, it would certainly destroy whatever was left of her and Jerry's love. "'We're not just talking about two murders here. Try ten. The new attorneys stared at each other, stunned, then back at her. On the prosecution side, everything was as much of a slam dunk as you could ask for— Pre-trial was moving along smoothly, and convictions for the murders of Mary Beth and Craig Miller were all but certain. The most damning physical evidence would be the firing pin marks on the twenty-five caliber shell casing found at the scene of Craig's murder, matching Jerry's Beretta.
0: Mm. And that's what's always unique, right? Yeah, the that firing and the pin, the rifling mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. the bullets. Mm-hmm. Okay, you can match that up to the barrel. Mm. That's what Batman did in. Uh... What's yeah, that, What's that one? Is Dark it the Knight. Dark Knight Returns? Yeah, he has that weird robot shooting yeah. bullets and pieces of concrete or whatever. I think that was Dark Knight Regular, wasn't it? Or Dark was that Knight Dark Knight regular. Returns?
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, I think it was Dark, N- Dark Knight Regular.
1: <laughs> but that's when Charlene's bombshell dropped about their true string of abductions and brutalizations that had mm. taken 10 lives, crossed three states, and lasted 26 months. Charlene's attorneys hired private detectives to confirm her story before going to the prosecution, and it became more than obvious that she was telling the truth. But she wasn't willing to be truly forthcoming until a deal could be made. She wasn't about to do the crime solvers' jobs for them without getting a significant reward in return. Charlene and her lawyers had the prosecution backed into a corner. They knew that she was convictable for her role in the murders of Mary and Craig, but they couldn't settle for two when you could possibly solve ten cases Mm. of homicide at once. I'll tell you
0: one thing, she's fucking lucky Matlock wasn't the attorney, because she'd be confessing without even knowing it. (laughs) He always has the, gotcha? I he, love he, him. He,
1: One more thing. He's like mm. Inspector Clouseau kind of, yeah.
0: <laughs> I actually saw one where he like, pulls out a contact and then had a gotcha moment wow. against the person. I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? I'll tell
1: you what. Court is never like Matlock.
0: <laughs> well, Charlene, why don't you tell me about you guys killing 10 people?
1: Right? <laughs> Thank you, Andy Griffin. <laughs> Flashback to the crime spree.
0: I hope if there ever is a time machine, I don't have to listen to that every time I go back and forth Oh, and in time. it's going to happen. It's just you doing the voiceover work for time machines. They're going to get MP3s <laughs> of me
1: to put, to put in their time machines. <laughs> I'm going to go see if
0: Jesus was real and then it's just you making that noise.
1: <laughs> Only a few days after burying their latest slaves, on May 31st, 1980, Charlene felt the unmistakable signs that she was pregnant. Gerald didn't want a baby complicating his life, but when she told him she was pregnant, he didn't beat her or force her to outright abort it as he'd done in the past. Today, the couple had plans to go tubing on the river with another couple, but intense rain put a damper on it. So they settled on drinking heavily at Charlene's place instead. I mean,
0: uh, I guess serial
1: killers even have couples
0: dates, huh? Uh,
1: And this couple they would hang out with quite a bit. Really? Yeah. Okay, well,
0: I mean... You just found out you're pregnant. You might as well celebrate with some heavy drinking, yeah? No doubt.
1: (laughs) Since Gerald knew them as Stephen, they didn't know that he and Charlene were married, so he drunkenly convinced them to go to Reno for a wedding. Hmm. In Gerald's mind, marrying Charlene legally as Stephen fail would effectively make Gerald disappear. Shortly after midnight on June first, nineteen eighty, Gerald and Charlene officially became Mr. and Mrs. Stephen Fale. She was six weeks and counting. Okay.
0: Now you mentioned being married. They didn't marry once and then marry again, did they? This
1: is two marriages. The two first marriages. one yes, but this one was officially Stephen Fail instead of and she was now Charlene Fale instead of Charlene Gallego, which mm. is what they were married as the first time.
0: So the little Elvis pastor in Las Vegas clearly doesn't give a fuck as long as you got money. Pay me.
1: (laughs) Pay me. Yeah. Yep. That weekend, the two couples had planned a trip to the Oregon coast, but the others dropped out after Gerald hit the female for annoying him. So Charlene and Jerry made the trip themselves. He would turn this into a hunting adventure. Gold Beach is one of Oregon's best-kept hidden treasures. It's an idyllic coastal town with plenty to do if you're looking to take a day trip to the area. Not a place any would associate with brutal murder until old Jerry and Charlene rolled mm. in.
0: So is the whole beach actually gold?
1: Yeah, it's made out of gold. <laughs> it's
0: it's impressive. It's literally Scrooge McDuck's dream. He dives I'll right in. in. Oh. <laughs> uh, like, hey little ducks come bury me to the neck in gold beach.
1: And then he just dies. I would like to be buried in silver though. Silver? Yeah. Can you
0: can is that one of the metals that can like bleed through your skin and poison you no. if you're buried in it?
1: No. It's no. antimicrobial. Okay. Anti my antibiotic. Okay. Which is why a lot of medical instruments are made out of silver, as mm. you should notice by now. Mm. There, Gerald found almost exactly what he was looking for, a lone woman walking down the road, very pretty, a bounce in her step and belly sticking out. That was the one downside to him. She was pregnant, but she would have to do. Linda Aguilar was 21 years old and four months pregnant with second child. She was on her way home from the store where she grabbed a few items to make dinner. Mm. When the van pulled up beside her, she didn't pay it any attention until she heard a booming male voice ask if she wanted a ride. She looked over and saw nice, smiling Charlene and said, sure, why not? Charlene engaged in small talk with Linda until Jerry said in no certain terms, It's time. Take the wheel. She did, and Jerry climbed in the back, surprising his prey by sticking the 357 in her face. He followed the routine to a T. He bound her hands, established dominance through fear and intimidation before brutally raping and doing whatever other depraved sex act he could think of while Charlene drove. When he'd had enough, he took the wheel back over and drove to find the perfect kill and dump spot. He found what he was looking for, sand, trees, isolation. He took his bound slave out of the back and ushered her forward with his shovel into the darkness. Charlene expected to hear gunshots, but did not. Instead, Jerry walked back 30 minutes later, covered head to toe in sweat. He bragged that he had bashed the girl's head in with a rock and then strangled the life out of her.
0: Ugh, gets, ugh. God, that's disgusting. So, this is the first single victim he's done. Mm-hmm.
1: Huh? Uh. Yeah, they came in twos before that. Yeah. yeah. Ugh. On the evening of June 22nd, 1980, German tourists walking their dog came across an overwhelming stench coming from behind a rocky area. The autopsy confirmed it was Linda Aguilar, and the coroner was able to reconstruct her final moments. Mm. Her hands and feet had been bound, and she was bludgeoned repeatedly in the head, cracking her skull, and then she was strangled. Unfortunately, her will to live was exceptional. They found sand in her throat, mouth, and lungs— leading them to conclude that the blows and strangulation only stunned her. She would eventually awaken in her sandy grave before suffocating, buried alive.
0: No fucking way. Are you kidding me? That is horrific. (sighs) Holy shit. That's like a nightmare way to die. Oh, my God.
1: Pregnant, too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. that's fucked up. Is it weird that when you said German tourists, all I can think about is like, Two really buff German men wearing lederhosen. hosen, Hans and Franz. And they you were ha-
1: thinking of Dana Gould, Saturday Night Live characters. They
0: had like the tiniest little dog. They were walking with like this massive leash coming off. That's the first thing that came in my mind. I Ooh. said Dana Gould, I meant Dana Carvey. <laughs>
1: but Hans and Franz, oh, remember Dan- him and Kevin yeah. Nealon. Oh yeah, I love. If you think you cannot outlift us, <laughs> then you should come and find us. <laughs> Now, Linda's boyfriend and baby daddy, 23-year-old drywall installer Rick, had a history of a short fuse, a drinking problem, and was more than willing to use Linda as a punching bag. Honestly,
0: from the sounds of it, this is like the typical 70s man. That's ridiculous. It, it, I, absolutely. Why do you think the 70s suck?
1: That is ridiculous, yeah. Once again, the Galagos had escaped notice by picking a target completely by luck who was already a likely target for someone she already knew. We're flashing all the way forward to November 10th, 1982. After nearly two years in prison and a full year of lawyers in three states negotiating acceptable terms for her deal to testify on Jerry, Charlene had found a way to save her life and have a future when she gets out of prison. In exchange for 10 murders, she would receive a guaranteed sentence of 16 years, 8 months. Very random number. 16 years, huh? This was the absolute minimum that could Mm -hmm. be served if convicted of murder 1 in California. That came with an automatic 25 to life, and you could receive parole after 16 years, 8 months. She would serve the majority of her sentence in Nevada... Where she received the exact same sentence for the murder of the four girls there. So they would run concurrently the Nevada sentence and the California gotcha. sentence. Gotcha. Well, I'm going to tell you
0: right now, I'm really upset with Sheba- Sebastian Bach because the song would have been better. 18 16, a No, 16, 16 months, months and eighteen, <laughs> sixteen years and 18 months to go.
1: <laughs> That's good.
0: Sebastian, you better not steal that from us. Yeah,
1: you fucking stay away, Sebastian.
0: Honestly, he's like one of the only hair metal guys that doesn't look like a corpse walking around. And he should. Yeah, he He should, should, but he just looks fine. He still looks... He must have found the adrenogrome recipe or something. I don't know.
1: Spirit cooking. (laughs) No one seemed that overly thrilled about the relatively light sentence for Charlene. By rolling over on her husband, he was all but guaranteed the gas chamber, and she would only be tried on two second-degree murders. As far as Oregon was concerned, they would sign over the prosecution of the murder of Linda Aguilar to both Nevada and California, the death penalty states. Mm. So they want him dead. Yes, they, mm. didn't, they were like, you can handle the financial burden and also kill this guy. <laughs> In December 1982, outgoing DA for Washoe County refused to sign the deal out of moral obligation and would have to wait two months for his successor to take his office and make it official. This guy's a real fucking stick in the mud. Yes, he's got principles, he won't break Mm, them. He's anti-death
0: penalty, I'm assuming, huh?
1: Yes, Mm. anti-DP. With the plea bargain in place, Charlene opened the valve to investigators spilling names, dates, locations, and information only the killers could possibly know. The roll call of victims is as follows. Rhonda Martin Scheffler, Kippy Vaught, Brenda Lynn Judd, Sandra Colley, Karen Twiggs, Stacey Redican, Linda Aguilar, Virginia Mochel, Craig Miller, and Mary Beth Sowers. With an unborn fetus thrown in. Mm. Charlene led investigators from one site to the next. Her spookily perfect memory made life easier for evidence technicians, but it wasn't a lot of physical evidence around. At some scenes, there was none at all. The most solid case they had was the Craig Miller and Mary Beth case. The ballistics of the 25 would be impossible to wiggle out of, not to mention the testimony that would nail the lid on Gerald's coffin. Also with Charlene's testimony and scene tours, the prosecution was able to buff up the Kippy and Rhonda case, who were the first victims. Galago's semen matched samples that were recovered from the undergarments of Rhonda's corpse, and fibers from both Rhonda and Kippy's clothing matched fibers taken from the Dodge van. Uh, semen samples during this time
0: would have been, could only have been matched by blood type, right? I right. believe it is,
1: yeah. They it don't was have either. Part. You could either, it could either be a mitochondrial match, mm. or the other match, mm. the, like, whatever match. It either meant it could be you or anyone in your family, or you only, somehow. Gotcha,
0: okay. Well, I guess for... Um, old Gerald here, they could have just did a mouth swab from
1: probably all the snowballing he's been doing to Patty. <laughs> he's got plenty of that in there. fucker. <laughs> Gerald was fucking furious and decided the only way he was going to get a fair trial now that his bitch wife was working with the enemy would be to represent himself so he fired his public defender and began preparing for an uphill battle. He would have to go head-to-head with that backstabber and prove that he was wrongfully accused on all counts. Mm,
0: yeah, I, I I, don't have a lot of faith in Gerald. Good luck, Attorney um, Gerald. Yeah, he's going up against Matlock, and he, ain't, he doesn't have a chance.
1: We'll flash back to you soon, but for <laughs> right now, we're going back to
0: 1980. <laughs> <laughs> he honestly, he should have just emailed Huey Lewis in the news to go <laughs> to let you use go back in time. Gotta go back
1: in time. <laughs> Gerald had recently been fired from his job at the Bob Les Club in early July. Oh, Bob Les? Bob Les. Oh, Bob
0: Les. I thought you were saying like Bobless Bob Bob's in Beijing <laughs> I think it's a Bobless club This is a Bobless club. no Bob's a lot. We found what happened to the Bobs in Beijing guy he, he opened a <laughs> nightclub.
1: <laughs> That's good. After getting fired, him and Charlene drank and drugged away their sorrows. Neither of them seemed particularly concerned with the effects it would have on the baby growing in her tum tum. One legal pastime they did partake in was fishing. And on the night of July sixteenth, nineteen eighty, Gerald and Charlene spent a few hours down by the river drinking and snorting cocaine between fish. No, I mean honestly, what other way is there to fish? That's a. I mean, drinking for sure. I don't know about dudes that bring rails. Well,
0: you catch a fucking little little fish, a catfish or
1: something, put a line across Uh, its back,
0: and just suck it right up,
1: right off the little fin, Mm -hmm. the dorsal. Eventually, they weren't catching anything but a cold and decided to go to a pub near the river called the Sailboat Inn. Mm. Right away, Charlene could tell that Gerald couldn't keep his eyes off the pretty, sociable bartender named Virginia Mochel. The couple stayed at the bar until closing time. Gerald sat behind the building with his three fifty seven in hand until she came out to take out the trash, and that's when he forced her in the van. <sighs> she talked about bartending, her babysitter, her two children anything she could think of to appeal to their better senses. Gerald wanted to do this one in their home, and Charlene wasn't having it. She protested, and Gerald agreed to do it in the van in the parking lot of their apartment. Virginia picked up on what was going to happen to her, and she told her captors to just kill her. She wouldn't be violated or penetrated or humiliated. Gerald heard almost none of it, but it made Charlene nauseous, knowing that Virginia was absolutely not going to get what she wanted. At the apartment, Charlene went inside to vomit, likely from a combination of anxiety, cocaine, alcohol, and pregnancy. She impatiently waited for Jerry to do his thing in the van. After an hour, he came up to the apartment and collected her. It was the next part of the routine. He had Charlene drive and made her turn the music up all the way and not turn around.
0: So this is the first one she claimed she actually felt bad for was Virginia. She
1: felt bad for all of them, hmm, in her but mostly words. But yeah. this one. Because okay. she was like, don't do exactly what Charlene knew he was going to do. Mm.
0: That.
1: Mm. Horrible. Charlene expected to hear shots from the back and prepped herself for it, but they never came. Instead, when he climbed back up front, she realized he killed her with his bare hands. Gerald drove to a remote spot and dumped the body. And the couple returned to their apartment, neither saying a word, lost in their own thoughts. Oh, God. It's got to be an uncomfortable drive home. You know, maybe the (sighs) Eagles are playing on the radio or something. I don't know. I'm sure she's thinking, okay, it's over again. Thank goodness. Maybe now we can finally live our normal life with our baby on the way. It's never going to happen. Of course not. It's never going to happen. When Virginia failed to return home overnight, the babysitter reported it to the Yolo County Sheriff's Department on July 17th, 1980. She would have called to check in with the babysitter if she was going to stay somewhere overnight by choice. She loved her two children too much to just disappear. Yeah,
0: that's a really weird thing a parent would do. Just leave their kids at the babysitter. Mm -hmm.
1: Her unsolved mystery would come to a horrifying solved end on October 3rd, 1980. Fishermen discovered her nude, decomposed remains in thick brush near Clarksburg in southeastern Yolo. Hmm. Her hands were bound behind her back with fishing line. The advanced state of decomposition of the victim made it impossible to determine the cause of death or if the victim had been raped. That all changed a month later, after Sacramento and El Dorado authorities revealed that they were seeking Gerald Gallego, also known as Stephen Fail, and his wife Charlene in connection for the kidnapping and murder of Craig and Mary Beth. Roy Trujillo, lead detective of Yolo County, knew they could add Virginia Mokel to the couple's kill list.
0: Mm, okay. And this is before she confessed. Mm, or no, mm. this is
1: while she's confessing. Mm-mm. No, not this yet. This is where they're on the run still. Huh? Oh, mm-hmm. okay.
0: He's starting to put it together. Gotcha. So Danny's cousin,
1: Roy. Here. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Danny Trujillo. I think you mean Trejo, but that's all right. Gerald decided the van was attracting too much heat. He had to get rid of it before the cops somehow connected it with the recently discovered bartender, not to mention the other slaves that had been in there before her. During the summer of 1980, they sold it to an unsuspecting couple in Orangevale who were super excited to get a great deal on a seven-year-old mm-hmm. minivan. Oh, yeah, gently used. Gently a little blood mattress, here. little nope. sheet. <laughs> That's all you get. These, this is the couple that had the blood mattress, yep, huh? this is them. Yikes. hmm the Galagos' relationship was suffering throughout the summer. Just like with his five previous wives, he would take out his frustration on Charlene. Beating up on lightweight women was one of his favorite ways to de-stress.
0: Wait, does he just like literally go go around and beat up people?
1: I mean, he punched, remember the other couple okay, that wouldn't yeah, go with him? Cause he, right. I mean, he'd just throw a, throw a fist at a girl sometimes. Mm. In early August, Gerald started strangling Charlene right in front of Mercedes, who was visiting their apartment. When she heard her daughter gasping for life, she burst into the kitchen and grabbed the first object she could find, which happened to be one of Gerald's many guns that were laying around. She didn't want to ventilate her precious daughter's husband, so instead she pistol whipped him with the barrel. Hell yeah. One blow wasn't enough, so she had to keep hammering. Gerald finally released his grip on Charlene. Mercedes had opened up a hell of a gash on his head, from which blood was absolutely gushing. Mm,
0: too bad she didn't just shoot him, to be honest with you. God, just hold it right up to mm. wherever so, it won't hit Charlene. So she was literally like going like this, mm-hmm. as hell, like hitting him with the butt.
1: Right. She was wow. hitting him with the barrel, like punching him
0: with the, the barrel. Mm, okay.
1: I've ne- I'd never heard of anybody doing that before. It would be ruder because that's like a sharp, long <laughs> piece of metal instead of a, a, a wood. I
0: I don't know. I'm pretty sure the butt would have got him in one hit, though, right? The butt probably would have
1: knocked him out because of the extra Mm. weight if Mm -hmm. she swung hard enough. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, the barrel's going to do damage, too. Mm. Charlene packed her bags and moved in with her parents in September of 1980. The two drifted apart for quite some time, and neither seemed worse for wear for it. Gerald took his pregnant girlfriend, Patty, up to Oregon and was only too happy to call Charlene and tell her all about how happy he was to have found a real number one girl to hang out with. Mm. Charlene, reacting as all the hot-headed young people do, took the bait and was extremely jealous and showed it. After a few days, Gerald sent Patty back to California and had her spread the word that Stephen Fale had died in an accident.
0: Okay, so Patty is is becoming a
1: disinformation agent. Right. Patty. Patty. Galago returned to Sacramento in October of 1980 and rented an apartment on Bluebird Lane. In spite of their separation, it didn't take long for Gerald and Charlene to begin seeing each other again. By the 1st of November, they were ready to get back to business, kidnapping, raping, and murdering. Mm. So they're at 8 right now, right? They are at, 8. Eight. Eight, Yes. they at eight. Okay. they at eight. That very evening, the Galagos picked up their cutlass at Charlene's parents' place. Charlene told Mommy and Daddy that her and Jerry were going to a dinner and a movie. After not doing that, and instead binge drinking and driving around, Jerry finally slurred out, I'm getting that feeling. She didn't need him to explain what he meant, and she was not thrilled. Yeah. Listen, Jerry, you've had too much to drink. Why don't we just go back to your place?
0: And do what? I certainly can't get what I need from you. What an asshole.
1: Charlene drove around aimlessly while Gerald scoped the streets for possible victims. Finally, around 1 a.m. November 2nd, he found what he wanted at Arden Fair shopping center. A young, beautiful couple were walking down the parking lot, hand in hand, and full of life. All Gerald saw was a sex slave with an obstacle that needed to be removed. He ordered Charlene to pull into a parking spot, and once she did, he got out silently. In his hand was the twenty-five caliber Beretta she had bought him earlier in the year. She watched helplessly as Jerry approached the couple. They had never abducted a man before. This was sure to be less of a guarantee as just girls. When Craig and Mary Beth saw the thick man approaching them in the parking lot, they couldn't even say a word before they saw the gun. The man's face was manic and in no mood for compromise as he growled, Let's go. Fearing having their lives cut short, Mary Beth and Craig played right into their captors' game, sure that this could all be worked out with money or reason or whatever it took. This was when Craig's fraternity brother left the restaurant and, walking through the parking lot with his date, the fraternity brother recognized Craig and Mary Beth sitting in the back seat of the silver mm. Oldsmobile.
0: This is all the way from part one. Yep. Very beginning. Yep. This is the uh, Craig come and Mary, in Mary Beth yep.
1: coming full circle. Curious, he left his date and walked over to the car to find out why they weren't driving Mary Beth's Honda. He opened the driver's side door and leaned into the empty driver's seat to talk to them. Sitting in the passenger seat was a necklace hefty man with a glint of anger in his eyes. What's going on, Craig? I thought you had enough partying for one night. Craig had no humor in his voice when he responded, Get the hell out of here. This is no place for you. Then the frat brother felt a sharp pain in his leg. He'd been kicked from behind, and a screeching voice belted out. What the hell do you think you're doing to my car? It was Charlene, petite, blonde, and very pregnant. She acted like he was trying to steal her car. Who the hell are you anyway, said the frat brother. None of your damned business, you
0: bastard. Don't ever put your filthy ass in my car again. <laughs> what a weird insult. You filthy ass. It was I think like she some- was- she I was, was like, probably operating on all adrenaline <laughs> at that point. As like somebody who doesn't know how to insult people, you
1: dick butt. When I was four, mm. my older brother John was being a real jerk, mm. and I, in front of everybody, I said, you, you, you dum- dummy ass. <laughs> I called him a dummy ass. Oh,
0: fucking yeah.
1: roasted his ass. Yeah, I, I I got you him. fucking dummy ass. I got his ass. <laughs> She slapped him hard across the face, hopped in the driver's seat, and skirted off. The frat brother, furious at the woman and worried about Craig and Mary Beth, was still able to take down the plate number. He was a witness, their first one in all this time, and he could definitely face ID, the abductors. But Jerry was too drunk, sloppy, and desperate to get a girl to care at this point. Get on 50, go east, he told Charlene. Do you two have names? He asked his captives with Mm. the gun still pointed in their faces. Mary Beth said her name as if she was checking in for a doctor's appointment. Craig Miller said his in a less friendly voice. He asked Craig if he had any money and Craig responded, maybe a 10 in his wallet. Mm, Same Craig. Jerry grabbed it off him and was surprised to see that he was absolutely correct about how little money he had.
0: What are you doing with a
1: bum like him? He hissed to Mary Beth and grumbled a few more angry things before having Charlene pull the car off at the Bass Lake Road exit and drive to a specific gravel pit in El Dorado County. Again, with hope in his voice, he asked Charlene if she would like to join in. She refused. Can't say I never asked. With that, he got out of the car and told Craig to get out. Craig looked at Mary Beth for the last time and asked Gerald to just let her start running and they could do whatever they wanted with him. Of course, that was denied, and Craig Miller was out of options. Gerald told Craig to start walking. He didn't take two steps before Jerry shot him point-blank in the back of the head, as Mary Beth watched in horror. Gerald then stood over the body and fired two more shots into his head. He left the corpse where it lay and climbed into the back seat with Mary Beth and said to Charlene, Take me to my apartment. This is where he was fondling her in the backseat and saying, you're going to be my new Krista. Are you excited to be my new Krista?
0: (sighs) That is so horribly creepy and just, oh my God, that's disgusting.
1: Once there, a pissed off Charlene watched as Jerry took his new pet into their bedroom, closing the door behind them. Charlene sat on the couch and dozed off for a couple hours before he came and slapped her awake.
0: How do you fall asleep when that's happening?" I What no- the fuck?: I, mean- I really
1: have no idea. Oh my God. She drove with Mary Beth in the back seat, disheveled, bloody and exhausted. They got off the freeway near Sierra College in Placer County, and Jerry took Mary Beth out into a pasture. Charlene waited in the car and heard the familiar pops of gunfire, and knew this one was over. Now back to the apartment for the cleaning, wiping, and disposing of evidence within the car. But this was it for them. This would solidify police from three different counties' cases. The next morning, the couple was up before the rooster with barely a few hours' sleep. Though they didn't know they had reason to panic yet, they were anyway. The weapon used to kill Craig and Mary Beth, her purse and its contents, and anything else that might provide a clue that Mary Beth had been raped in that apartment had to disappear. They took it to a nearby place called Miller Park near the Sacramento River. When there were no onlookers, Gerald threw the evidence into the river and they drove over to Charles and Mercedes' place. The cops were there already. Gerald said he better skedaddle. Charlene would need to distract them and he'd call her in a few days. And he was out the back door.
0: Hmm, okay. Why is is Mercedes letting him back there again?
1: Because she still doesn't... Get it? Believe it. Okay. She still doesn't believe that Charlene's husband would be a, a nightmare mm-hmm. horror show.
0: Well, I hate to say it, Mercedes,
1: but he definitely—he was choking your daughter for fuck's sakes, Jesus! That's what love is, Cody. I guess. Charlene started vomiting into the kitchen sink. Mercedes obviously thought it was because of the pregnancy, and then she went into the living room to talk to the police. They told her about the missing co-eds and the fraternity brother who had been assaulted by a young woman and later took down the license plate of a car she was driving with Miller and Sowers in the back, a car registered to her. Mm-hmm. Charlene could have cracked right there, but she kept it under wraps. She knew the police had no real proof or she would already be in the backseat of a cruiser on her way to an interrogation room. She said she didn't know squat about the missing kids and that she and her boyfriend Stephen had gone to see a movie last night, and then she stayed the night in his apartment. The detectives, looking at a nice, pregnant, small blonde girl, almost gave her the benefit of the doubt, but asked if they could have permission to search the cutlass. That was the one thing she was confident of. Her and Jerry had a great cleaning system that was sure to leave no evidence behind. They found nothing in the car to indicate there had been a struggle or that it had been involved in any crime at all. Detectives took down a few more bits of info before Charlene conveniently threw up. It was morning sickness with a side of a hangover. Detectives were fine with it. They said they'd come back a little later on to finish up. Get that hangover done with and then we'll be back. Mm -hmm. At 4.30 in the afternoon, they returned with the hopes of taking Charlene to the station to be photographed. The Williamses told investigators that their daughter had gone out for a second and would be home by 8 for dinner. One question further about Stephen Fail... Charles admitted that Charlene was married to him, and that he was the father of the baby growing in her belly. The police's radios went off. Craig Miller's body had been found near Bass Lake. Informing the Williamses of this disturbing news, detectives urged them to call the second Charlene walked in the door. Mm, okay. At the same time, Gerald and Charlene were really sweating, and they blamed each other for their current predicament. Gerald figured if they could go recover Craig's body and hide it somewhere else, then there wouldn't be anything for the cops to use against them. How were they gonna do that? They stopped on Bass Lake Road where Charlene was positive Craig's Miller's body would be. But there was nothing there.
0: Oh, they don't know the cops have found it. Uh-uh. I thought they were like, Oh, let's just break into the police the evidence lab yep. <laughs> just go to the police morgue or
1: whatever and just take the body, then they wouldn't have no proof against us. Leaving the young man's body right off the side of the road would prove to be their undoing. On November 3rd, after not hearing from Charlene for almost a full day, Charles Williams sensed his daughter was in a world of trouble. He called detectives and told them that Stephen Fale's true name was Gerald Gallagher, and he went on to tell them he used the alias because he was wanted in Butte County for incest and other sex offenses.
0: Oh, so the first time uh
1: charles has made a good decision here finally Mm. but guess what they'll go back to making bad decisions Ah, very soon damn it charles meanwhile the couple were headed east on i-50 just passing through reno where they dumped the oldsmobile in the circus circus parking lot
0: the fuck is circus circus
1: it is a casino
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. One circus, when one circus just isn't enough for you, we got two here.
1: Yeah, they okay. had one in Vegas, too. I think they took it down. Oh, I can't remember. Okay. I never really went out. It was over by the Stratosphere and stuff. I never went over there. Mm. On Gerald's suggestion, Charlene called her parents and told them where to find the car, probably assuming they would tell the police who would search Reno, all while they hopped on a Greyhound bus headed to Salt Lake City, mm. Utah. Back in Sacramento, police had recovered three bullets out of an attic and a bar Gerald worked at because he fired that twenty five in the ceiling to impress a girl, like we ah, said earlier. Ah, okay. These, of course, matched the bullets found in Craig Miller's head, and the evidence was mounting, and the search was hot. Do you think any of them
0: thought initially that while C- or Gerald was shooting in the ceiling, Craig... Just happened to be taking a nap up there. Yeah, yeah, possibly hit him in the head. Yeah, he
1: was sleeping up there. <laughs> I don't know how his body got all the way to Bass Lake Road, but. Uh, the Lord works in mysterious ways. Truly. <laughs> Teleported his body. From a Western Union in Salt Lake City, Charlene called her parents for $500, which they used to travel to Denver and then to Omaha, Nebraska. Once there, they were flat broke again and called her parents for another $500. Charlene pleaded, I swear I'll never ask for anything again. Just get us the money so we can come
0: back to Sacramento and turn ourselves in. Okay, come on, that's like the worst excuse ever.
1: Boo. Yeah, no kidding. They reluctantly sent the money and immediately betrayed her, believing this was the only way they would see Charlene alive again. They called the FBI and let them know where Gerald and Charlene would be picking up the money in Nebraska. FBI agents were stationed around the Western Union, waiting to pounce. At 11.30, the elusive duo appeared. Neither seemed nervous as they approached the front doors. But at the very last second, Gerald juked to the left and began walking down the street instead of into the building. FBI agents with shotguns at the ready trailed Jerry in a car. Hell yeah. Here's the other thing I was wondering. How
0: nervous were the Western Union employees? Because they're probably like, fuck, they're finally rating us for all our shady goddamn techniques. God, they are the worst. They oh my god. I used them before I had a bank account and they would take like twenty dollars of a two hundred dollar check. Yeah. Is don't they have they give like um payday loans and it's yep. like a twenty percent interest mm. rate or some shit on it? <laughs>
1: Yikes. Charlene was unaware of anything and just waited until Gerald rounded the corner before walking into the office. She walked right up to the counter and asked the cashier if any money had come in for her. Charlene? Yes? You're under arrest on unlawful flight to avoid prosecution on a murder charge. This isn't what I ordered. (laughs) She, (laughs) She offered no resistance as she was handcuffed. In order to take Gallagher was radioed to the agents following him. The car immediately screeched to a halt in front of him, with agents pouring out of it and praying for him to do something stupid so they could blow him away. Gerald used to boast about how he'd never be taken alive. Well, he just put his hands up and stood there as they cuffed and Mirandized him. Mm. Neither he nor Charlene were armed. It was one of the few times in Gerald's life where he wasn't in prison... ...that he didn't have a big old gun in his pants. Hmm,
0: interesting. Okay, well, obviously, uh, he's a lot of talk and Uh, no...
1: He's a blustery, he's the huff and puff and blow your house down fella. These dumb shits always are, though. I know it. The trial began in November 1982 with the madman Galago defending himself. Judge Norman Spellberg presided over the trial... Gerald put forth his best effort to block Charlene's testimony on the grounds of spousal privilege. He married her twice for this very reason. The only little hang-up here for Jerry, he was so quick to run around marrying girls that he was still technically married to wife number two. Therefore, both marriages to Charlene and the three women before her were illegal and invalid. Charlene Williams was now free and clear to testify against her former boyfriend.
0: And he gets probably the
1: worst charge, bigamy,
0: bastard. That's uh, get his ass. Five counts of bigamy. Let's get him. That's
1: double death penalty.
0: <laughs>
1: they had to invent a new one. No for wonder it. he likes Salt Lake City so much. Love, yeah. <laughs> DA James Morris's opening statement lasted two and a half hours and unfortunately cast Charlene as a physically and psychologically manipulated. Passive partner in crime in order to win over the jury. Two and a half hours, this sounds boring as shit. It's a hell of a podcast. Oh my god. When it was Mercedes' turn to take the witness stand, she told the court of the two weeks her and Charles supported the couple while they were on the run before finally calling the FBI. Upon the conclusion of her testimony, Gerald bit his lip and quivered before saying...
0: Judge, I don't have any questions for this witness.
1: This was a shot in the foot. By passing up the chance to cross-examine Mercedes, he had let one of the prosecution's most important witnesses off the hook. Then it was Charlene's turn. Her testimony was the most anticipated part of the trial. She wore a white lacy blouse and a black skirt as she was escorted into the courtroom on January 10, 1983 to testify against Gerald. She was playing the demure victim of abuse, and it was working for the public. She had them fooled that she hadn't willingly participated in the abduction, brutalization, and murder of ten women, one of which was pregnant. Mm. I,
0: uh, I was kind of hoping at first I thought you said Charles was <laughs> taking the <this> stand, <laughs> and for some reason I vision them. They make him like put his hand over like John Men's uh, barbecue and it's smoking or something like that. <laughs> he just had a big picture of John Madden in a chef's outfit grilling. He
1: had to swear over a mm. sweet baby Ray. <laughs> <laughs> it was a three-hour and fifteen-minute direct examination by the prosecutor, and Charlene shined the spotlight on her entire fucked-up relationship. It really worked for the jury; they were clearly moved by her testimony. This put the prosecution in a bit of a pickle. Its most critical witness was also a confessed multiple murderer and cohort in the crime she was testifying against her twice-faked husband. Mm. Gerald opened his cross-examination of Charlene on January 11, 1983. It lasted six whole days, and the judge was forced to intervene hundreds and hundreds of times. Yeah, because this dumb shit doesn't know what he's <laughs> doing. It devolved into what more resembled a lover's spat than two people arguing for their very lives in court. He came off as desperate and was an incompetent attorney. He failed to convince anyone that Charlene's testimony against him was false. Mm. His next move was a Hail Mary for a miracle. He put himself on the stand. The prosecution couldn't have asked for a better witness. Gallagher's contradictions and inconsistencies, along with his unpreparedness as a witness in his own defense, deflated him completely.
0: Okay, I want to I envision how he does this. <clears throat> Jerry, um, would you confirmed to the jury, did you kill these women? Jerry, I would never do that. Objection. (laughs) Just (laughs) just playing out its own shit. (laughs) But Jerry, you just said that to yourself. That'd be amazing (laughs) to see somebody like prosecuting themselves. He's such
1: a fucking idiot. (laughs) He is. (laughs) Gallagher recognized the error of his legal ways in his closing arguments when he said... I took a legal licking in this trial. Yeah, you did. <laughs> to yourself, you dumb shit. The jury was given 24 options in deciding the verdict oh. of Gerald Gallagher. 16 of the verdicts were for murder charges and 8 possible findings were on kidnapping charges. The jury also had to decide if special circumstances were present during these crimes, including... The commission of multiple murders or murder during commission of a kidnap. As it turns out, they did apply in this case, and on June 21st, 1983, Gerald was sentenced to death for the murders of Craig Miller and Mary Beth Sowers. It took the jury less than two hours and only one ballot. Well, at this time, the state of California hadn't killed anybody since 1967, and even if they did start killing people, Jerry wouldn't be able to jump the 133-person line waiting in front of him. Yep, yep, this is a, a pretty big line there. While well, there was a second chance for true justice mm. in Nevada, the state was fully prepared to prosecute Gerald on four counts of murder, impatiently waiting for the California trial to wrap up. The Nevada trial was swift, and it took the jury two and a half hours of deliberation before condemning Gerald to die by lethal injection for the murders of Karen Chipman Twiggs and Stacy Ann Redican. On top of that, they added two consecutive life sentences without possibility of parole. He became one of only a handful of people in the country to be put on death row of two states at the same time. After sitting on death row for almost 20 years in the Nevada State Pen in Carson City, Gerald Gallagher was able to avoid execution by dying of rectal cancer on July 18, 2002 at 56 years of age. Charlene Williams, who plea-bargained her way out of a death sentence, was released from prison in 1997 at the age of 40. She served 16 years, 8 months, and is required to register as a felon wherever she moves, but nobody knows where she is right now.
0: Mm, Okay, actually she got out not that old. Uh, 40, 40 years, years old, old. Not you still have old. a
1: chance to do something yeah. with yourself yeah
0: honestly i feel like they should just let charles and like the houston meat mafia like string them up by a rope of bratwurst or no something kidding. no uh, kidding. just just let them do that uh yeah wow uh these two were fucked up pretty fucked up i'm kind of conflicted about charlene because i think she's in a Abused woman who was genuinely terrified and would follow him along, but she seemed really unbothered. I know. By the killing. So it's kind of like. Isn't it hard? Yeah, it's It's hard hard because maybe she, you know, when you get into this point, obviously, like you said, we don't understand the psychology of being in that person nope. shoes but for that reason de- she's a murderer but are you just dead inside Ugh. emotionally at that point like I don't, I don't know it's cody just, it's no it, good it's no good at all no there's no winner in the scenario except for um the beef man that's and, it and uh even him got roped into his daughter's poor shit here i know it so uh yeah it, it's fucked up if These you like, were fucked up did you like it i loved it good. great story too i love hearing about people i've never heard about before me too uh, even if it is very uncomfortable to hear about the weird shit that they were into. I know. Um, Well, more specifically, he was
1: into, which is... He's a bad boy. Some of the uh, worst shit. Terrible shit. <laughs> da- <sighs> Ugh. All right. some... If you guys all liked it out there too, which I know you did. Hmm. How about you tell us about it with a form submission at bumblebuttpodcast.com. Fill it out, it comes to us just like an email. In fact, we have one right now. Oh yeah. This is regarding butchers.
0: <laughs>
1: hey all, I'm a supermarket butcher in California and I'm highly offended by how right you were. I started working for Safeway in 1998 when a cutter made 1918 an hour. And became a butcher in 2004. We now make 22 bucks an hour and change. So, in over 20 years, as homes are skyrocketing, we make another three dollars an hour. Once upon a time, this was a really high-paying job, but like most industries, we're pretty much bone now. Luckily, my wife makes the real money in our family. Hell yeah. That's a. Hey. It's sad. That's a. That's literally American in a
0: nutshell. That's right American now. in a
1: nutshell. A butcher could support his whole family. Here's the thing. Like, let's just
0: throw out the notion that butchers are dealing with a lot of really sharp blades. And I imagine there could be accidents all over the place. And a $3 raise for that? Come on. Over 20 years? Yeah. And in California, too, where uh, obviously the cost of living is very high. You might as well Um, just
1: cash your paycheck and put it on the sidewalk because that's not going to get you anything. (sighs) I guess it's just like MJ. He's
0: doing it for the love of the beef. Right. Do it for Lo- the love. <laughs> love of the beef. All right. um, But yeah, uh, thank you for that. That was a beautiful email. I remember when yeah. I read that, I was like, this is amazing. Yeah, I was dying. That was thank fucking you. great. Thank you.
1: Also, if you want to support us, follow us on Instagram at BumbleButtPodcast and on Twitter at Bumblebutt Pod. Follow us on Spotify if you're not already doing that and leave us a five-star review Hell, on yeah. Apple iTunes if you wouldn't
0: <laughs> mind. We did get quite a chunk uh, this last week. Yes, we uh, did. Two written ones, Mm -hmm. which we are going to read Mm -hmm. right now. We'll start off with the first one one of my favorite podcasts by Jesse Marie83. Jesse Marie. I love this show. I recognize that name. (laughs) I love this show. I found them on my related list one day almost a year ago and binged through all the episodes at work. I love the banter, and they always have me cracking up. They're also very interactive with fran- fans. I DM'd Adam on Instagram about an episode and got a reply, and he was just as friendly as he is on the show. Well, that's why I recognize that name then. Yeah, hell yeah. yeah. You're chatting them up. That's yeah, a- you can hit either of us up. We'll uh, usually respond. Yeah, Honestly, if you hit up our personal ones, I'm much more likely to respond, mm-hmm. so uh, do that. Mm-hmm. And we'll read the other one here. Thank you, Jesse Murray. Dear Adam, whoa, personalized. (laughs) That immediately remind me of the BTK uh, poem. Dear whatever his Uh name is, dear Annie or Uh whatever. Dear Adam by Sinmatsu Seven. Sinmatsu Seven. Okay, is birthing really woman's work? (laughs) <laughs> Very few women have the capacity to pass a child to your size. Any man expecting to have a child of your constitution should really stick around to make sure there is someone to take that toddler-sized newborn home after their birthing partner dies on the table. Keep up the good work, boys. Thanks to you, and thanks to your moms for their brave service. Yes, yeah. thank both of thank our mothers. Thank you, mama. Jody and Joe, thank you so much. Jody uh, and Joe, thank you.
1: Do you? Ed, that thank is... you, Cindy That <laughs> That is great. That's good stuff. You Tore it up there. That review. Woo! Wow, that's uh, good. Thank stuff. you. I like that. Oh man, I like that. <laughs> I like everything about that. All right everybody, thank you very much for listening. Remember, no episode next week. Yes. Uh we are moving to the suburbs. We're getting the goddamn mm. podcast studio set up in a nice new location with brand new microphones, I'm, new preamps, everything like that. I'm excited to hear the quality, and I think you guys will be as well. We're already great, but we're only going to be better.
0: Honestly, a uh, weak mental recovery might be good for us. We've been man, when's the last time we took off a day? It's That'd been be a over a year yeah. and a half ago I think so yeah it'll be uh, I think uh, Jordan was still here so it's been a long time that sounds right um, yeah it'll. Uh, I think it'll be a good day and for me for both podcasts I'll get like a week off yeah. to kind of just chill refresh. out so yeah
1: f- f- refresh well don't worry everyone we'll be back in two weeks uh, until then I've been Adam that's from Cody thank you Cody thank you Adam alright everybody have a nice weekend unless it's Tuesday peace out